Well, good morning. My name is Kevin. It's good to be with you guys today. Hey, I just want to get a feel of the room real quick. How many of you guys are married? Stick your hand up if you're married, okay? Go ahead and leave your hands up. How many of you guys uh, would like to be married someday? Put your hands up. Add to that. Keep your hands up. Okay. How many of you guys love somebody? All right. Okay. How many of you guys have somebody in your life that you need to love better? All right. You can put your hands down. Well, today we're going to be talking about marriage and all kinds of love. And for those of you that just put your hands up, I truly believe that God has something powerful to challenge you with today. Well, we are in the Summer at the Movies series, and I got to be honest, I'm always a little bit nervous about, you know, showing movie clips and things like that because there's really positive, funny things in movies, and then there's some not-so-great things in movies, so I don't want you to ever feel like I'm endorsing uh, a movie like that. But that being said, um, how many of you guys have seen Juno? Raise your hand if you've seen Juno. Okay, how many of you guys have not seen Juno? You've not seen this? Okay, I'm about to ruin it for you, all right? It's been 10 years, so that time period that somebody's not allowed to ruin it for you is over. All right, so Juno is a high school girl. She's a regular girl. Um, She's got this admirer bleaker guy, kind of whatever you want to call it. And so um, she lives with her dad and her stepmom, and um, Juno finds out that she's pregnant. Now, the first thing that Juno does is she uh, goes to a Planned Parenthood uh, abortion clinic, whatever you want to call it, and um, she's sitting in the lobby, and she's filling out the paperwork, and she just stops, and she can't go through with it. So she runs out of the clinic, and um, her and a friend pull up the Penny Saver magazine, and they find this perfect couple that they are going to uh, uh, let adopt Juno's baby. And so this couple is going to adopt Juno's baby. And so they're really excited about it. And this couple is just, I mean, they are perfect. I mean, they've got this big house and they're so in love. And then about three-fourths of the way through the movie, Juno finds out that this couple's marriage is really falling apart. And so she has this conversation with her dad and she asks this question to her father. And I think that this question is so powerful I think this is a question that all of us or most of us have asked before. So whether it was in college or when we were in high school or growing up and we're older, I think that we've all asked this question. And this question is so important right now because I think it sits at the top of our culture, at the surface of our culture level. It is just there and it's going to hang out there and it's not going anywhere. All right, let's check out this clip and see what Juno asks. You're looking a little morose, honey. What's eating you? Uh, just like losing my faith with humanity. Wow, well, can you narrow that down for me? I just wonder if, like, two people can stay together for good. You mean like couples? Yeah, like people in love. Are you having boy trouble? Because i got to be honest, I don't really much approve of you dating in your condition. That's uh, kind of messed up. That's not what it's about. I, I just I need to know that it's possible that two people can stay happy together forever. Well, it's not easy, that's for sure. And uh, I don't have the best track record in the world, I know, but... I've been with your stepmother for 10 years now, and I'm proud to say we're very happy. Look, in my opinion, 
the best thing you can do is find a person who loves you for exactly what you are. So here's a question that Juno asks. She says, I guess I wonder sometimes if people ever stay together for good, like people in love. She says, Dad, I just need to know that it's possible for two people to stay happy together forever. Now, Juno's a little bit worried. She's not sure about her and Bleeker, how this is going to work out. And she says, Dad, it didn't really work out for you and my mom, and I'm just not sure what's going on here. And now this couple that was so perfect, and they're happily you know, married, and now they're not going to make it. Is, is, is it possible for two people to stay together forever? Now, I think we've all asked this question we've at least thought about it to ourselves. And if I'm going to be honest, if I can be vulnerable with you guys here for a second, I've asked this question. Now, I was very, very lucky and blessed to have two parents as I was growing up that were absolutely madly in love with each other. In fact, they still are madly in love with each other. So don't ever go on vacation with them because it's like borderline gross, okay? But I watched as I grew up my friends and I watched their families just dissolve and I thought, man, no one's leaving this happy. What's going on? Is it possible? You know, and I thought either my parents got super lucky or society has really changed. Now we tend to incorrectly oversimplify this answer to this question, can two people ever stay together, right? And how we ourselves answer this question is a direct reflection of this oversimplification of this answer. See, we think marriage and people in marriage are one of two things. We think, one, man, these guys are extremely lucky. And man, they, they are so lucky because they found the soulmate out of six billion people. They found their soulmate, man, they're so lucky. Or we think, man, they're just unlucky and they chose poorly. Now, I do think that there are certain circumstances that would say that they've chosen poorly, like if there's some drug addiction or some abuse and physical, uh, that's not what I'm talking about. That's a separate conversation. I'd love to have that conversation with you guys one day. But I think what God has put on my heart to share with you this morning is that it doesn't have to be about luck. Now, it's not going to be easy, but it doesn't have to be about luck. Have you ever seen somebody do something and they just make it look incredibly easy? I mean, you just watch them and they're just fantastic at it. And you think, how is it? It's so easy for you. Why is it like that? Well, recently I've begun playing tennis. And uh, I do what I always do when I'm trying to learn a new skill. I go to YouTube, right? So I pull up YouTube and I'm watching these clips like, okay, how is it that you serve? And this guy's like wearing tiny shorts and a headband. He throws the ball and he says, it's perfect arc. You know, you got to hit it with. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then he says, you know, you pull it back. And as you come through, you kind of swing over. And I'm like, oh, I play ping pong. I got this. This is cool, right? I got this. And so I go to my neighbor, Raj. He's this Indian guy that lives above me. And I say, Raj, let's play tennis together. And he says, you play tennis? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, okay. So he's like, okay, let's play tomorrow. So I'm getting all amped up and I get this $10 tennis racket and I'm so excited. And I go home and I'm watching professional tennis on TV and I'm just getting prepared. What is it that these guys do? What's the secret? And I see, ah, I get it. I know what their secret is. They, when they are going to hit the ball as hard as they can, 
they yell as loud as they can. That's the secret. That's it. How did I miss this beforehand? Okay, so I'm super stoked. I'm ready. I'm, here we go. It's the next day. Raj and I go out the tennis court, and uh, Raj serves me up the ball, and he hits it perfect. Perfect serve, right in the server's box. And I'm just like, this is the first time that anyone's hit the ball hard at me, and I'm so excited. Like, I'm just, oh, yeah. And I think about what I saw, and I'm like, okay, racket's back, I'm ready, I come through, I turn the racket over just like that, and I just yell as loud as I can, and I hit the ball as hard as I can, and that ball flies right over the tennis net, and then right over the fence and into the street. I mean, tennis players make it look so easy because they've worked really, really hard at it. And the same secret that I thought was true for tennis is not true for marriage as well. It doesn't matter how hard you're, or loud you yell, it's not going to make it any better. So what is it that these tennis players do? You know, and, and speaking of yelling, there was a study uh, between two couples and a multiple amount of couples. And the psychologists were trying to figure out what is the difference between a couple that you know, has a happily marriage and they're so happy to be married. And what's the difference between them and another couple maybe that they're just miserable in their marriage? Now think a second what you think about what the difference is. Now close your eyes, close your eyes, think about what it is. What's the difference between a happy couple and an unhappy couple in their marriage? You got it? You got your answer? Okay, look at me. Okay, it is not how loud they yell. And it is not how much they fight. Here's the difference. The difference between an unhappy couple and an unhappy couple, when you put those two couples together, the difference is what happens in between the fights. That's the difference. So what do they do? And how can we apply that? When we don't feel like loving someone, how is it that we are to love? Now, this is going to apply for marriages and boyfriends and girlfriends and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and, and everybody, okay? This is going to apply to your enemies, even the Nazis on TV. Here's what it happens. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. So if you've got your phone, pull out your Bible app. Uh, if you have your Bible, pull to John 13. This is what we're going to be jumping into today. And, and here's what, what's going on. Jesus is sitting around with his disciples and his ministry on earth is kind of coming to an end here. So he's trying to like pack everything in before uh, he's put up on the cross. And so he gets them all together. And um, what he says to them when he addresses this issue is so powerful. It is so profound. And yet, at the same time, it's so simple and so accessible for all of us. And what he says, again, it applies to romantic marriages and all kinds of relationships between people. Here's what he says, John 13, verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. Now, disciples are like, a, a new command, another command? Jesus, we have like 10 commands. We've got like six under other, 600 other commands, you know, that we've got to follow. What's going on here? And notice that Jesus does not say this is a suggestion. He does not say this is a calling for some people. They have to call and others don't. He says, this is a command. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. You're thinking, new? Kevin, I've heard this before. Well, the disciples thought the same thing. They said, what about this is new? What are you talking about? Here's what's new. Here's what Jesus meant by a new command. See, Jesus took this thing of love, and instead of it being a noun, Jesus makes it a verb. 
What Jesus says is to stop making love something that you feel and start making love something that you do. Love isn't something that you possess. It's something that you do. And Jesus says, I want you to love each other with action, proactively, with a plan, intentionally. Love one another. Here's what he says next. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, when studying the Bible and you come across a verse like this and it's powerful and maybe it stands out to you the way it stood out to me, or maybe you're reading something, you're not quite sure what it means, go ahead and check out the context. So read a couple verses beforehand, read a couple verses afterwards and see if that can kind of help bring some clarity to that. If we go back to John 13, at the very beginning of John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And when he's finished with that, he says, now you need to go out and wash each other's feet. And in verse 17, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, love requires action. It requires service. And what Jesus is saying is if you guys want to keep remaining in a relationship, if you guys want to stay in love, if you guys want to continue to love in each other, you need to love with action. Love requires action. And you think, well, what is one action really going to do? Like, how is that really going to change something? You don't understand my situation. How is that really going to change something? Asking that question of what's one action going to do is kind of like asking, what is this one puzzle piece going to do? Now, if you look at this puzzle, you can't really tell uh, what picture it, it makes up. I mean, it doesn't matter what you look at. It, you just look at it, it just looks like a regular puzzle piece. Now, for those of you that are super into puzzles, you're like, you better put that puzzle piece back, Kevin. Someone's going to try to put that puzzle, and they're not going to be able to finish it, right? But here's the thing. When you start to lay down these puzzle pieces, and you start to put them down, you begin to see the beautiful picture that you're trying to create. And the same is true with our actions. When you begin to lay down these actions one after another and you continue to put them all together, you begin to form the picture of love that God calls us to, that God commands us to. Here's the big idea today. I want you to write this down, put it somewhere, figure out how to apply it to your life. It's love requires action. It does not say love should have action, Love requires action. So don't go out and love the way that society has told you to love. This isn't a thing that we have that we lose and then all of a sudden we magically find again. Love isn't about finding the right person to love. Love is about making it a verb, making it an action, making it something that you do. If you want your love to stick true, use action as your glue. Use actions to make this love thing stick. If you want to stay in love, use action as your glue. Now, here's the thing. Anybody can fall in love. That requires nothing from us. And society has made it so easy for us to fall in love, right? We just pull up our phones. We got an app. We swipe left or right. We get online. We fill out a a bio. And then, boom, we're in love. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. If he says, if you want to stay in love, it's going to take work. Here's what Bob Goff says. He's the author of a book called Love Does, and I can't endorse that. I want you guys to all take some time and read this. Here's what he says. He says, nobody ever really falls in love. We just stop making everything about us. 
Nobody ever falls in love. We just stop making everything about us. Now, I want to unpack this idea of love requires action and love as a verb and love as an action a little bit more because I know that it applies a whole lot more to than just marriages. And I think that, you know, we can, we can apply this to all areas of our lives and it's a whole lot more than just simply doing something. There's a lot going on in our world right now. Can we just agree with that? There's a lot going on. I don't think that there's one thing that couldn't be solved by love with action. Now in Philippians, uh, the book of Philippians, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. See, at this time, Paul is uh, in prison. He's on house arrest in Rome and he's watching the church in Rome begin to divide. And he wants to address that. And then he sees the church in Philippi, who's like the first church that was, was ever created and launched in Europe in AD 50. That begins to have the same kind of problem. There's this division that's happening. And so Paul says, I need to write them a letter and address them about this. Now, Paul talks about the three causes of discord and disunity. And here's what he says. He says they're selfish ambition, personal prestige, and concentration on self. Let's kind of dive into those a little bit. This is Philippians chapter two, verses three through four. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Here's what this means. Don't compete. If you got your Bibles open, write don't compete next to this verse. Don't compete. That means don't compete about who's gonna win the argument. If you're in a silly little argument, just let the other person win. Put the relationship ahead of being right. Stop being worried about trying to be right all the time and put the relationship ahead of that. If someone's telling a story and they get a detail wrong, don't cut them off and be rude to them. Just let them tell the story. Put the relationship ahead of being right. Here's what Paul says next. He says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Here's what this means. It means you are no longer the most important person in the room. Have you ever been in awe of somebody? Like you just go to a wedding, you just see the bride and you're just like, oh, oh man, look at her, right? Or maybe you see like a, a celebrity or something. Claire and I were uh, going up to Food Truck Friday about this time last year. And we're walking up and I see this crowd of eight or nine people just kind of walking and in the middle of them is this tall guy and he's got this kind of like facial hair right here and then the tip of it's blonde. And I'm like, I know who that is. I was like, Claire, do you know who that is? Do you see who that is? And she's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? I said, Claire, honey, that's Cam Newton. And she's like, what, what? Now here's, again, so backstory. The week prior to this, Claire and I sat in our kitchen with our laptops open doing our fantasy football league, okay? This is serious. My family does a fantasy football league. My brother's the commissioner. I mean, it's a serious deal. And we invited Claire to step into the realm of doom, okay? And so she's there and she's so excited about fantasy football. And I said, well, you know, honey, you know, this is a PPR league. You're probably gonna wanna draft a running back first. And she's like, don't tell me what to do. I said, okay, I need to put the relationship first. Honey, you draft whoever you wanna draft first round. So she says, okay, I'm gonna be a true Carolina fan. I'm gonna jump in and jump into the charlatan spirit and I'm gonna draft Cam Newton as my number one pick in fantasy football. And I said, okay, honey, let's see how that works out for you, right? Last year, you can 
Some of you don't play fantasy football, I guess. It didn't work out too well for Cam. And so I, I said, okay, honey, let's see. So here we are a week later, and we're at Food Truck Friday, and here's Cam Newton. Now, we're just started to get excited. I mean, like, I'm, like, kind of excited. I'm a Browns fan, so I'm not that excited. But Claire's, like, super excited, and she's just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And the more excited she gets, the more excited I get. I'm like, okay, we got we to gotta figure out how to get a picture happen. We got to make this happen. Like, we're here, right here. And I said, okay, honey, get out your phone. Walk up to him, and, and he'll, just, he'll just take a selfie with you. I just know he will. Just do it. She says, okay. So I'm getting excited. She's getting excited. She walks up to him, and she smiles and hands him his phone. And so he, he leans up, and he takes a selfie. At this moment, I open up my mouth. Okay? Here's what I said. Cam, you're my wife's number one fantasy. Oh. See, what I meant by this was, Cam, you're my, number one fan, you're my wife's number one fantasy football pick, but uh, we had to have a conversation about this afterwards. As a couple, we had to work through some things, you know, get into counseling and things like this. But this is the way that Paul tells us to value other people. When they come into the room, man, it's about them. Man, it's all about them. You just are there ready to serve them. Here's what he says next. He says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, I am most interested in the things that interest me. Mic drop, right? I am the most interested in the things that interest me. But what Paul says is he says, you don't just put up with the interests of others. You need to find a way to be interested and move in that direction. Now, here's how I know that my parents love me. When I was a kid, people walked up to me They'd say, Kevin, like, what do you love to do? Like, what, what, what's your hobby? What, what's fun for you? And I'd say, soccer, you know, soccer. When they'd walk up to my mom and dad and they said, Andy, Nancy, like, what's Kevin like to do? What's he like to do for fun? They'd say, oh, man, Kevin likes to play soccer. And he likes to play right back and he's on the defense and he makes these long passes and then runs up the sideline. He gets in the attack. Oh, man, Kevin loves it. He plays in college and it's so fun. Now, now again, my parents... Like before they had me and I came along, like their knowledge of soccer was very limited. It was like the ball is black and white, right? That's pretty much what they knew. I mean, they weren't idiots. It just wasn't something that they were interested in. Now, my mom was kind of interested in it. She'd go to the, the games when she was in college because she knew that's where the Latino boys played soccer, you know, and they're pretty handsome. But that was about it, right? So then I came along and they just jumped in and just dove into it. And they weren't the like annoying, annoying parents on the sidelines, like yelling at their kid and doing stuff. Man, they were there just to support me. And if you asked my parents now to tell you about soccer, like they could tell you anything that you ever needed to know. Like my dad could pull out a piece of paper and draw the formations out and the strategy and tell you everything you need to know. Now my guess is there's some people in each of your lives that have some interests that you need to show a little bit more interest in. See, because real relationships require real interests. Real relationships require real interests. And I think I can even take that a step farther and say real intimacy requires real interest. For those of you that are taking notes on marriage, if, if someone walked up to you right now and they said, tell me about your spouse's hobbies. Like, what is it that they do for work? What is it they like to do for fun? What, what, what does they do for a career? How is it that you would answer that question? Would you be so excited and just know everything about it and just be as excited as they are about it? 
Or would you answer with some boredom or maybe uncertainty and not really know? How is it that you'd answer that question? And what would our families look like? What would our households look like if we started to apply this principle of, man, when people walk in the room, it's just, oh, man, it's so good to see you. Oh, man, what's your name? My name's Kevin, what's your name? And what if we started to apply this principle everywhere? And we can love with action in our marriages, in our families, with our neighbors, and with our enemies. Now, something powerful happens when you choose to serve someone else. And we have to choose to serve and love these people with action, even if they don't respond and love you back the same way. So if you've got a teenager and they're behaving the worst, or man, they are just your little angel. You've got to choose to love. If it's your neighbor and man, they're the kind of person that would just let you borrow their lawnmower and they are awesome, or if they're the kind of person that would steal your lawnmower, you've got to choose to love them. If you're in traffic and somebody chooses to, to go ahead and let you merge in, or man, they cuss you out, we're commanded to love just the way that Christ chose to love us. Now, if you keep reading Philippians chapter two, you start reading verses five, six, seven, and eight, you're gonna start seeing some powerful words about how Christ emptied himself how he humbled himself before us, how he was obedient to death. And he died on the cross because he loves you and I so much, even if we choose not to respond that kind of love. And here's the good news about this. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and kind of help us transition into this next thing that we're gonna dive into. There is a lot of people even in our own congregation, man, if I talked about marriage, man, they wouldn't want anything about it. And if I talked about love, they don't want a piece of it. They don't want anything to do with that. And again, there's some ugliness and real messiness and brokenness that's happening in our world right now. Here's what Andy Stanley says. He says, our greatest opportunity for impacting culture is not coming to church, but learning to fall in love and stay in love and love each other the way that our heavenly father, Jesus Christ, loves us. Did you catch that? The greatest impact for culture that you can make is not coming and sitting in a movie theater seat, hearing a message and some great music and going home. I mean, if that's the kind of church you're looking for, maybe this isn't the church for you. But if you're looking for a church that wants to be the spiritual crossroads of South Park, man, if you wanna help people find rich life in Christ and, and make a difference in your community and make a difference in Charlotte and go out in love with action, then man, dive in, dive in. I'm gonna leave you with some, some homework. And heads of the household, I'm gonna keep you accountable for this. I'm gonna challenge each of you to go home in the next three days and I want you to read 1 Corinthians 13 out loud as a family unit. So if that's you as a married couple, as a boyfriend, girlfriend, as a household, parents, you wanna see something powerful, invite your kids into this. And I want you to read 1 Corinthians 13 out loud. Now, when you get to the word love and you're reading it, I want you to replace it with the word serve. So you're gonna read the words love is patient, love is kind. I want you to replace those words when you read this out loud and say, serving is patient. 
service is kind. Now, on the way out, each of you guys are going to receive a puzzle piece. We'll have ushers down here at the bottom of the steps, and I, and I want you to take a puzzle piece from the basket. This is not an opportunity for you to be too cool for school and not take one. I want you to take it. Because this puzzle piece is going to represent your challenge to daily go out in love with action. This is a small little puzzle piece. Just want you to remind it that you need to be building the picture that love, that God has commanded you to build of love. So put it in your wallet, put it up on your mirror, tape it somewhere in your car, but take this puzzle piece and choose to love with action. Love requires it. Now, some of you, you need to apply this puzzle piece to your spouse. Psychologists say that it's a five to one ratio of positive to negative interactions to make a marriage work. I think it could be one that makes a difference. Now, you might know your spouse's love language. There's five love languages. And you might say, man, I know my spouse's love language. But here's what happens is we can get in the tendency of serving our spouse in the same love language over and over and over in the same exact way. When you go to a restaurant, you eat beef, chicken, pork, or fish, right? Never gets old. It's because they present it in a different way each time. Some of you need to present to your spouse their love language in a new creative way. So if their love language is quality time, don't just keep doing the same things you always do. Do that quality time in a new and special way. It doesn't have to be this big dinner every single week. You should be going out on a date once a week, but it doesn't have to be every single night. Choose to find a way to creatively love your spouse in a new way. Now, some of us need to focus this puzzle piece on people who are different than us. I mean, I hear about Charlottesville and I look on my TV and I see Nazi flags flying. Church, it's time to step up. This is what God has called us to do. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time, lean forward, lean forward, lean forward, lean forward, lean forward, lean forward in your seats, lean forward, lean forward, lean forward. When's the last time that you invited someone over for dinner to your house that had a different skin color than you? Church, I think that we have some real opportunities in front of us. And if we're gonna go out and love people, that love requires action. So if you wanna stay in love, love with action. If you wanna love the way that Jesus loved, love with action. Love requires action. We're gonna just spend some time here. There's a lot going on in our world and I don't care about the time. We'll finish on time, I promise you. But I just wanna take a moment just to spend some time to praying for our country praying for Charlottesville, praying for what's happening around the world. Because church, it's us. Oftentimes we can look at God and we say, God, why aren't you doing something about this? And God's saying, I did do something about this. I sent you. So let's just pray. God, God, this thing of love is something that we take on way too casually sometimes. God, we know that we're supposed to go love one another, God, but we forget that sometimes, God, it, it's, it's gonna put us in our, in our zone that's just not comfortable. It's gonna require us to get out of our comfort zone. God, 
God, show us how we can love with action. God, show us how we can love our families. God, show us how we can love our neighborhoods. God, show us how we can love our city and our country. God, show us how we can love and accept people who are different than us. God, show us what it means to be your disciples. God, I lift up Charlottesville right now. Father, there are so many broken people that are there right now, God, that are hurting. God, and they're confused and they're wondering, God, they're searching for you. God, I just pray that you would just send some people, God, send us to show them that they're loved. God, I pray for our world right now. God, it's just, it seems like it's never ending. God, it just keeps happening. God, show us how to love.